Alright, so Kia ora Tefano, welcome back to the Howard of the Wall. We're on the run today with Ron Taipa. Hi Ron. Yeah, kia ora Lebo. Sweet, so uh, I finally cornered Ron because I've been, you know, pestering him for a, what, four months to yeah. come in and, <laughs> and do a bit on the podcast and so we were going on the road today to Tolaga, Wawa, uh, we're gonna put some parikiriki down. Uh, we got a few types of potatoes in Kumara and Kumara and a lot of energy thanks to the uh, the full moon phase and so we're talking about uh, gardening and, and food sovereignty movements and I thought hey wait we're not gonna miss out on this conversation for the podcast so might as well get started so what we're talking about before is sharing like sharing tools and, and making them available for all of these good kopapa as uh, community gardens and uh, food out of your backyard so you were going on about something if you want to kind of go back a little bit and and, and tell us yeah. uh, I was just saying it's pointless where um, one person one house owns a lawnmower when you may as well share it amongst all your mates and then you know you it's just economically and environmentally a much better way to do it um, and same with other things that we can share, like I was talking about our community trailer, which really, okay, so, I, so I've got a trailer, but it doesn't really matter, you know, like making it available. And there are lots of people that do use it for various things, and all you need to do is, of course, like ours has a key to it, so we always know where it goes. But yeah, the point is, um, why should every individual own every single thing when it can be accessible through a group? which means that like, I could have a trailer, means someone else could have a rotary hoe or whatever. And, uh, yeah, and we share stuff like that, which is, just seems to make economic as well as environmental sense to me. So it's like a library of tools. Yeah, a very unofficial one, the, the Fano one. Yeah. We have a very... Uh, so we've been talking about this in Taikia for ages, about building a library of things that people can come in and borrow. And yesterday, because... We were all manic and lunatic with the full moon energy. Um, we were uh, finally discussing uh, creating a new podcast for Taikie. So uh, I was saying, look, um, my computer can stay here, which I brought from home. And it's all, all completely designed to, to do image processing, video processing, audio processing, any of the heavy tasks. And if we're gonna um, gear up to to create a new podcast with um, like all the gear that we need, anyone that has access to the fare can come in and record because I mean we can train them. Yeah. It can become a, a like a community radio hub in a way. But instead of going through the radio waves, we're gonna go through the internet. Um, so. There's another podcast coming up um, called Greenlight. It's all about cannabis, and well, we're we're trying to get the conversation out for uh, before legalization or before the re referendum. And after it gets legal, keep that conversation going because it's going to take some time to get the um, cannabis stores open and all of the regulations. So share like anything that we can share. It just creates more and more and more abundance, and it just is like uh, sharing seeds. Do you want to talk a little bit about what we did last week with the sweet swap? Yep. Okay, cool. So we had a uh, plant and seed swap. The idea is uh, anyone can come along and they uh, bring along some plants and they bring along some seed and it just has a couple of criteria around it. One is it has to be named. 
um, saying its locality, its botanic name, its comic name. That's just so we know what we're dealing with. Um, and the idea is, of course, that uh, you come along and you trade. Uh, there's no gold coins involved. So, because uh, people say, I'll make a donation, I say, no. If you have to do it that way, then go purchase some seed, which is open pollinated, so that we can grow it and store it in future, and put that into the bank, so that actually we are trading. Uh, so that's, and the idea, of course, is to set it up so that um, Lobo in his backyard grows one type of seed, and Ron in his backyard grows one type of seed, and whoever, until we're right around the region, we've got a whole group of us growing just one seed, and then as that stuff is all collected, autumn next year, we'll all come together and we'll process that stuff and we'll have 50 different types of seed, all open pollinated and we know its source. And the idea is, of course, that um, it's the first part of food sovereignty and it gets a little bit of stability to it because if Ron's fails, well, that's okay. Lobo's got some. So, you know, spreading it like that. And the other thing we try to do is not ring fence it in too many ways with too many rules. It's pretty much, yep, come March next year, you put your hand up, turn up with some seeds, and then we'll, our virtual bank, which is what it is at the moment, will be a real bank, eh? And people will, rather than dealing with one centralized person, because it tends to get a little bit controllish then, they'll have the list and they'll say, oh, Ron's got that, and they'll just ring up and he'll say, yeah, sure, what do you got? And, uh, and that's sort of roughly how it'll work. And there's a couple of uh, people who have picked that up because we're all busy. Uh, Chrissy Hinari and Bridget Scully and Haley Hokamo and we're older guys, but never mind. These ones are going to start the Kopapa off and they've got a list of central and they'll be in contact with people and that's how it'll begin. We've got a name and we're going for Manakakano, giving the, the seed it's recognition that it deserves, and that's sort of our trade-off for seed sovereignty. And in this particular case, it's Manakaka no Tairawhiti. Uh, we are looking closely at Manakaka no uh, Mahanga and Manakaka no Taranaki. And you can see how the idea is that this will spread not only regionally, but nationally. So yeah, that's where we're going with it. And yeah, no more than that at the moment, eh? but it started, so yeah. How many people came to the uh, seed swap? Uh, we've got 34 in our group, 56 came in the end. So, you know, drifting in through the day, which is, um, I thought we'd have about 10 or 12. It's pleasantly surprised, but obviously, you know, with COVID-19, food sovereignty as an issue is right, right up there. Um, the, the thought of uh, another pandemic um, is in the back of people's minds, and while they're not worried about it, it's a bit like insurance, isn't it? You know, you think, oh, okay, cool, I can do something about that. Here's a really positive thing to do, because obviously we all remember that you couldn't buy any seeds or any plants during lockdown, and yeah, people want to eat. So, yep, it's a really good response. Nice, simple, low-tech, low-input response to what could be a basic problem. Yeah. We were talking to Mayor Stoltz yesterday, and she was right there with you about that, how COVID really kind of underlined all of these issues not that so it just made it more obvious that that we really need to say make our resources and our resilience more robust uh, it just doesn't like we didn't have all of the tools that we needed for to face this kind of situation and i mean coming from uh, like from a climate change perspective it doesn't really matter if there's a 
the pandemic going around because we're kind of on that on the like on a, on the same note as the frog in a boiling pot of water. We're slowly but surely coming up there, and by the time that we do something about it, we might not have the same growing conditions. So that's another thing that um, the seed swaps provide is that that diversity of, of genetics and the diversity of different environments in which the seeds are growing make them a lot more resilient in the face of climate change. And, and the more we're um, season by season open pollinating these seeds, the more adaptable they'll be because they're always going to be coming from a, a new perspective, a new stage in evolution to face these new uh, circumstances in which they're growing. So all like say this, this year's information is already stored in those seeds and they know that they're, they're working with less water, higher temperatures and so they need to be more robust so when the seed sprouts that plant is going to be ready for all of that. And if we do that every year, well, it, it does matter how climate change keeps going, although we're, we're tackling that head on as well, but the seeds will be prepared no matter what. And the more we cover the ground, the more we will be prepared. Uh, I think I just went on a tangent there. But yeah, food sovereignty has been on, on the minds of many, many people I've been talking to. And it's really good to be here with someone that's been you know in that space for so long so um do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey with food sovereignty how it started and where it's going yeah everyone that's a gardener's into food sovereignty lobo you know that huh? you've seen it and uh and our our mission of course is actually to um, make gardening attractive not not just from the fact that um if you don't eat you die but um to bring back that bit of a love of gardening because for a while there um as a as a group of people, we drifted away from it because a lot of people were slaves to their gardens, and so Akatufenua comes in there. You know, we're talking about permaculture Māori, and where gardens are doing the job of gardening, and us people's job is to provide the smarts to allow that to happen in a in a in a self-sustaining as much as possible way. Uh, so you know, it gets quite exciting. Um, it ties a whole lot in, obviously, with the food sovereignty thing because it's the basis of food sovereignty. But, you know, and the view of garden is, is expanding so that it's, um, we're not just talking vegetables, obviously we're talking herbs and we're talking weeds, talking trees, and uh, which is your very strong link up to climate change, eh? You know, we're talking about perennializing the landscape because those plants just last longer, they're easier to manage, they take less input, you know, again, which is about reducing your impact, which is about, Climate change, um, but it's all about small steps. That's why I like the the seed swap thing, um, and, and I really like the um, the fact that nobody's too concerned about getting it right immediately. It'll evolve, like you're talking about. It will evolve, and will evolve into something that um, suits our region. And I think that's what you get if you don't put too many rules around it, and you certainly don't exclude anybody. Uh, yeah, so that's I'm quite excited about where that's going. I'm more excited about the fact that I can be a bit of a passenger and don't have to take a massive great lead because I'm busy, like everybody is, but it's really nice to see so many passionate people about that. So, yeah, so, you know, what people are growing plants, I think you just got to be very, very aware that one of your main jobs is to grow gardeners, babe. Grow gardeners, you're awake. 
all those other things will start to look after themselves a little bit. So, yeah, that's what I think. So instead of being a fisherman like Jesus, you're, you're going to be a gardener, growing gardeners. Yep. That's awesome, man. Yep. That, like, I love that notion. And that the first time I heard it last Friday of growing gardeners, I thought, yeah, that's what we need. Or we need to, to create that um, kind of those conditions, that perfect soil for people to fall in love with gardening again, see all the beauty in it. And, and all of the so just like that's one one of the things that we're we're uh, about to be harvesting the first few plants that we put in Kokirikai. and once you get the first bite of out of those veggies that you grew yourself put in the ground watch them grow and you taste the goodness because it just doesn't taste like anything you get in the supermarket it always just has that you know like extra flavor that extra um, juiciness, that extra something that you just realize, oh, wait, this is, it's, well, I got this for free. I only have to put it in the ground, maybe water it, take care of it every once in a while. And it did all of this beauty. Imagine if I actually paid a little bit more attention and tried to do a little bit more so the next time around you're like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this a little bit better. And that passion just takes off and it just... You know, you want to be more time in the garden, spend more time looking at your plants grow, understanding all of the um, different stages and the different uh, risks that the plants are kind of facing, and it just becomes a passion. So how how we do that is just by that those open spaces of a come in. Doesn't matter if you're just starting. Doesn't matter if you've never grown anything. We have all the seed in the world. To share and if you fail look next year I'm gonna have 10 times more because I've been I'm gonna be growing a whole heap in my garden so it's it's one of those um, talking about like um, those perpetual motion machines that scientists have been trying to crack and never been able to this is one it just takes um, a bit longer you know there's no fail like there's only just, it only fails if you don't learn from what you've done. So it doesn't matter if you make the biggest stuff up, up in the world. It's only a problem if you don't learn something from it. Huh? And you embrace those things, you know. Think, oh, damn it, I won't do that again. Yeah, and spread those things so your mates don't do it as well. You know, so those, those are important things. Huh? Um, you know, there's the, in the Rodale Press books, there's a little quote at the start of them about gardening. And it compares gardening to learning to dance or play tennis and it, and it says that you know the broad strokes are easy to acquire and uh, but the fine nuances that make you in our case a tohunga take a lifetime to acquire all right so you're on a journey you know just yep and it'll be a journey you never get to the end of so you know which is good yeah always learning something new yep from i love that bit about uh, a never-ending journey because look being being so I was talking about this with a friend recently. Um, him and I, we talk a lot about the um, on the spiritual space, and he's very pressed to see results from from his journey, and because he sees his task as vital for the evolution of man, mankind, as is everyone's, right? And I told him, look, we're all in this path, and your your whole life is on this path so no matter where you are on that path you're on the path so you're whatever you're doing 
whatever it is, if, if you get it wrong, if you get it right, if you win or you lose, it's part of it. And you're going to keep going through that. And it's just, you know, a stage that you're going through. So you got to go through it because otherwise you're going to be in that loop kind of running around in circles in the same in the same stage of the path. But with gardening, for example, we say we die and we become fertilizer, but our children or our gardening mates or our students, they keep going with exactly the same amount of knowledge that we had because it's just like a stream of knowledge and, and, and passion that, that passes on from person to person. And it, and it keeps multiplying. So, say, you, you were expecting 10 people to turn up at the seed swap. 56 people. 56 people that are going to go and plant, say, 20 plants each. Like, the least. I know, I know a few that are going to go in the hundreds. <laughs> and then imagine the amount of seed that's going to come back from 56 people. Yep. And their mates. Yep. Yep. That's it, isn't it? You know, like, you start small, you start simple... Uh, but you start, and you can't build any momentum until you start. And you know, it doesn't matter where you start, you just start. And you just don't be too hung up about getting it right. Because, you know, a thousand things fail that never start. Hey, you've got to start. So, yeah, and then you watch. It'll pick up a dynamic, it'll pick up an energy. And in five years' time, you and I probably won't recognize it. But who cares? It's like going. It's going to be good, yeah. A really good thing to, to keep evolving and transforming. Um, so one of the key issues I have in my mind right now, and there's a couple of us with the same question, is um, how to engage rangatahi in these kind of uh, activities in, in Kopapa. Because, I mean, when you have so many good and entertaining distractions around, coming from, you know, uh, well, if you're young, you're going to be chasing girls or boys or both or, you know, any combination of that. Um, there's video games, there's drugs, there's television, there's all of these things that kind of distract you from the fact that you need to feed yourself <laughs> eventually. Um, what was it that in, like helped you getting to gear or engaged you in this journey? Uh, or how do you see that we can provide a, a like an, an entrance for for people that are um, usually distracted with other things in life good question there's um there's a couple of things of course say one is the question about how do you how did you get engaged and that's 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 whānau thing you know that's if you come from a family of gardeners chances are someone in your family is going to be a gardener as well you know so that's that's a role model thing that's a normalization thing. <clears throat> yep. And then if your if your parents were clever about that, then uh, they they didn't make it a burden, yeah. So uh, one of our gardens was not very far from the beach. And some of my greatest memories are, are going down and working on the space with my dad and a couple of other families and we'd go down there and we would sleep on the beach and we'd work in the garden, we'd go for a dive in the sea. It was like a weekend of fun, but actually we were gardening. So there's a lot of, you've got to be clever about the way you engage people. So um, one of the worst things you could do is make it a punishment. You know, oh, go eat that, you know what I mean? Uh, no, 
it has to be intrinsically rewarding when you're young. So the and as you get older, you still that 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 still holds true. So like you know our program, we got an emphasis on kai. You can see it, eh? kai oranga, yeah. And so it's about the food, sure, but it's about the preparation and sharing of food with the people that are doing it with you. So you know there's heaps and heaps of time in which we will be eating kai from our garden or eating kai that could have come from our garden but isn't there now that we will grow because hey we've just tried this eh? you know and, and spreading it across that range you know like you know um, smoking fish and having a salad out of the garden um, making sauerkraut and fermented things you know and then talking about the link to gut health and so it's a big holistic thing but the, the hook in of course is food and not plain food Delicious, different food. That's the hook for rangatahi. So you say, hey, no, this is the end game right here. It's not the weeding. It's not the heavy lifting. Those are byproducts, so eh? You know, those sorts of things. No, no, the end game is the kai that you eat. So, yeah, that's, that's I reckon. And you've got to remember that young people have different, you know, stage theory stuff. They want to do different things to us. They burn at different times. Um, and you've got to think, you got to actually cleverly think around that so that yeah, you're not asking them to engage in something for a long period of time that it becomes aversion therapy and they'll learn to hate it. Nah, we've got to get them to learn to love it like we do, which means we've got to think harder about it and not use them. You know, engage them in what you are doing and reward them with what they're doing by practical things like food and fun. Yeah, that's my take on it anyway. Take this pumpkin home, bro, and make some soup for your mom. You know, it's going to be just as delicious as this one. Ah, actually, I should just bring some pumpkin soup around <laughs> and offer it to people. <laughs> or, or, hey, you know, like these Americans have this thing called uh, Halloween and they cut these funny faces and, but, hey, man, we got some awesome Māori designs. doesn't even have to be Halloween. You know, let's just carve this up. You know, let's do this to it. And, you know, that, that sort of stuff, a bit of fun. You know, the place of arts in the garden. They, you know, those sorts of things. You know, the place of it is, a, is not just a garden, but as a multifunction space. We're talking about, you know, sitting down, building your yoga platform in there if that spins your wheels, a meditation space, you know, um, sticking up a big row of corn so that your old man can see that actually you're reading a book, eh? so he, and not gardening at all. So, you know, it's a retreat, all those sorts of things. Yeah, lots of things. That's awesome. Um, what you said about the end and the end goal being kai, it reminded me of this um, structure that they have in the 12-step programs, where the newly arrival is the most important person in the in the room. So it doesn't matter if you've been there, if you've been sober for 35 years, and you know everyone and everything, and how everybody operates, and you're a guru. The most important person in that room is the one that walks in for the first time. And, and it's always an occasion. There's always like a celebration of, bro, you finally came in. We were waiting for you. Um, and this is what we got for you. We got all this love and it just overwhelms and, and warms you up and it makes you feel like, what the fuck are these guys on? They're not doing drugs. They're not drinking. They're not overeating or having too much sex. So how the hell are they so happy? <laughs> and so you get the same thing and like, oh, these guys are just, you know, getting their hands dirty, you know, sweating, um, getting up 
4.30 in the morning to do all of these things to get the garden prepared. And then at lunchtime, they sit down with all of the serenity in the world and they enjoy the kai like no one else does because it's like, you know, the, you know the fuck-a-papa of the kai. You grew it. You watched it grow. You, you saw the seed. It's like raising a baby. Well, except you don't really eat too many babies. <laughs> no, apparently you're not allowed. But you know, you know that whole, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole thing around um, whakapapa of plants and heritage plants, you know? So heritage plants in themselves, a lot of them are not special. What makes them special is the journey of those plants within families. And you know, and say, oh, that's auntie's orange. Oh, that's uncle's nectarine, you know? That sort of style of stuff. And, uh, and so there's a whole lot of emotional things around around plants and around the story behind plants that actually we just need to reconnect people to. And then you reconnect them to the stories about place um, so that your garden is an expression of place. You know, and it, yeah, you know, and you say, oh, you know, this is where so-and-so had the garden and this is what happened and this is the history of this and then that becomes your food story as well. You know, so it's bigger than just, you know, growing kite. You know, it's it's about the opportunity to bring back um, generational information that's got connection to people, that in turn reconnects them to their ancestors and connects them to the people going forward. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, like you say, it's a nice space that just spins. You know, like yeah. So, yeah, good spot. It's like the, you know, the grandma's recipe. Um, and my grandma's recipe, man, I got to say, that's the best food in the world for me. And it just comes from watching her every time, how she would just go through the green beans and get them out of the pods and put them into the pot with all the love and all the care. And so she was telling me the other day, because I, I actually blend the carrots and the cassava to thicken the soup and she was like oh no 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 you don't do that the uh, the old way you do it with your nails so you scratch the um the cassava well it, we don't use cassava in colombia that's just what i use here but you scratch the um the carrots and the plantain with your with your nail and you drop the little pieces into the soup and that's how you get it only people that don't like to see the little pieces on the soup are the ones that blend it. And I was like, oh, I got schooled by my grandma. That's awesome. <laughs> but everything just comes from that, you know, being five, year, five years old and watching your grandma do everything with that love and just being able to do the same thing for someone that you love. It just connects you with all of your line and all of, your, all of the beauty and all the love that's inside you, man. That's amazing. Um, but I want to transition to a different topic now, which is completely connected and it's um, more linked to climate change in a way that I see we could mitigate a lot of the effects and it's uh, covering back the earth with uh, forests, you know, it's hopefully native. But at the same time, which is, that's something that's on a lot of people's minds, if you can mix in some um, fruit trees and nut trees and, you know, um, food um, into the into the Nahere, you can create these agroforestry projects all around the, the world that, um, say, tackle both 
the need to recover our native uh, ecosystems and maybe make them richer around the regions in which we inhabit or we interact with them more constantly. So say you have this farm, I don't know how big it might be, just picture it yourself. And a portion of the farm, a huge portion of the farm is all um, planted in natives. And you live that like that stuff alone and you let the birds take over and, you know, do their native thing. But on the outskirts of that forest that you created, you can have a small plot of, say, a couple of hectares of just food trees that are mixed with your um, with your natives. And then even closer to your home, you will have your your uh your perennial garden and then your your annual garden, right? The, so talking about the permaculture concept of zones and how you should dedicate some part of your land to um, regenerating um, ecosystems. So how do you how do you feel that will fit here in Tarafiti? Yeah. Yep. Good twenty-seven questions, bro. <laughs> uh, you, you know, um, you go back to names, huh? Names are really funny things because they carry with them a whole lot of uh, connotation. So when you call something a garden or you call something a food forest, you get a picture. So, you know, it, it'll be really, it's really interesting because what we tend to do is, is and I reckon this is a, a, a flow from modern thinking, is we tend to be a little bit reductionist in our thinking. Um, and that we break things down to smallest bits, garden, you know, food forest, pond, whatever. And, and actually the, um, the environmental issues are always big holistic problems. And that's probably how we should be thinking. You know, like a little bit bigger, a little bit larger, um, and changing our, our mindscape. So maybe we shouldn't be talking about gardens at all. Maybe at homes on the small scale and farms on the big scale, we should be talking about foodscapes, something like that. You know, a name like that. Akatu Whenua, Māori Permaculture is all about designing properties along the lines that you talked about there. You know, permaculture's not you. We're just decolonizing that space in a Māori way by contextualizing it against those principles that... Um, you know, mana, whakapapa, maori, wairua, that sort of stuff, yeah? What does that look like? And it's a very holistic system, like permaculture. Turks talks very well to it. Uh, and it's the answer, it's that answer there. So it's not one solution for a particular piece of land or one scale, but multiple solutions uh, to suit multiple audiences. So, yep, that's... But it is definitely a change of perspective, only in the way that you view the landscape. All the other things can stay. You know, maybe it's, if you're talking about economic models, it's not necessarily all about the bottom line at all costs. You know, no, we're definitely talking about the four Ps, you know, um, and about the triple bottom line and about your spirituality aspect that nobody measures that goes in with all that stuff. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I'm saying it just basically that the tools are all there. We just got to bring them together and uh, and work out what that looks like. And the really awesome thing is the principles are all the same, but it all looks differently because we all like different things. And that's exactly 
as it should be. I shouldn't be telling you what to do. I just need to provide you with some tools that say, here's a vehicle you can use to get to where you want to go, which has got all these ecological principles built into it so that care of the environment, the world around us, becomes one of the driving forces. Huh? Yeah. Smart thoughts on it. Sweet. Yeah, pretty much. It's going to be something that adapts to everyone's <coughs> circumstances. Eh? Yeah. You're not going to be able to grow the same type of foodscape here that you would in Colombia or in the South Island or in Germany. Yep. Or even up in uh, the Arctic Circle. That's right. But the design principles will be the same world over. They will be based on effective ecologies. They will all be based on biological resources. Those sorts of things. Biomimicry, you know? Learning from nature. Yeah? Yeah, it's... So my... I think that the main driver for my um, question before was... Or my 27 questions before was... I see that we are currently separating these things as in, you know, native bush and a food forest and, a, you know, where they could, like, like if, if, if you left Earth unattended for 20,000 years, you would come back and there would be no distinction between one thing and the other anywhere. You would be finding pockets of different types of food just growing naturally. And you would move along as, as many of our people did, just uh, being nomadic tribes, going and finding pockets of food that will sustain them for a period of time, de not depleting them, but just uh, using some of it and then moving on to some other spot and maybe, hopefully, living it in a better condition that we found it. So that, you know, maybe two generations after, someone can come back and say, oh, this is where my grandfather was, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And they were doing this. Um, so, a lot of the corridor around climate change that I've listened to, and I've been very blessed to have both Pakea and, and Maori perspective in that conversation, especially around the Tairafiti Climate Summit that happened this year in January. There's a lot of distinction between these spaces of native, exotic, you know, um, gardens and, and food and how what, what's that barrier that's keeping us from seeing the whole thing as a as a just a mix of a, a lot of different elements that we just put in, in in groups because it fits our our perspective but not really serves any purpose yeah I, you know what you're looking at there is when you divide the landscape up like you did is the law of return you know so um we're dividing our landscape up then and quantifying its use as such, you know, for this, for this, for this, based upon whatever return you have in your head. And that's good because you don't do anything for nothing, eh? There's no such thing as a free feed and things should return something for you. It's how you quantify it that shapes your landscape, you know? So if you think forestry, if you think native, it's because somewhere in the background, you've thought about what that, you want that to return to you. And it's to bring those things to the forefront of your mind and own that stuff so that you can hopefully least manipulate it in a meaningful way, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'd be happy with uh, very little 
in actual as far as percentage return because you can't have the planet cannot sustain um, continuous growth it just can't you know even if it was three percent a year three percent three percent three percent three percent doesn't take long to realize that over a long period of time that's compounding eh? that's not three percent you know and so at somewhere along the line we're going to strike a balance and we are being forced to strike a balance now because the world is coming back at it with, as, with a single climate change. Yeah? So, you know, what we've got to do is ask ourselves about those returns and what we value most and it will be reflected in all these designs. Yeah, and we'll struggle through and it, it's really interesting because at the end of the day, some, it, you know, possibly where we're heading to is a political solution here of not end user pays, which is what we got now, taxpayer, right, end user pays, no, but maybe directly polluter pays. So if your organisation or business or whatever you happen to do is resulting in the degradation of this waterway, then no, nah, you pay. You know, at the moment, of course, there is no, and there is no consequence largely for the small incremental um, destruction of those sorts of things. Like, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of runoff here and a little bit of runoff there and it's a cut that tree down there and all that little bit of a hill has slipped. And then over time, those things build up to real problems. And it's about just getting a mind change to say, well, oh, gee, we're going to change this differently, huh? And I think, you know, most people are willing, yeah, but no one wants to take a hit to their bottom line no matter what. And that's sort of, you know, so it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how these shape up in the future, but it'll definitely be along those lines, I'm betting, you know, where we'll be thinking more consciously about that. And, yeah, it's like a lockdown, voluntary lockdown. People don't do stuff sometimes, or some of the people, unless you compel them to. And that's what we've got laws for, right? It's not for the honest people who don't break them. No, it's for all the others that do. So that's sort of where we're... It'll be really interesting. You've got to find that nice balance in there. But that's, that's sort of where we're going. But it's great because we're always reshaping what this looks like. You know, so, yeah, I'm quite excited about the concept, actually. All right, so we're going to cut it here for now. We're probably going to bring in... Is, is Fraser coming today? No. Okay. Well, we're going to bring some more people that are very involved in growing Kai and... Uh, you know, doing the good work. So hang on to your hats. Thank you, Ron. Get it, bro. Hang on.